0: But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at VortexOptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from VortexOptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. It's only a kick, a jump,
1: a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle
0: Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Now I'm a Southern Child,
1: a Southern child. I'm down in Macon, Everybody knows where I was born. Well, I You're listening to the Southern out the Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the
0: podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the southern outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode.
1: All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. We're really excited to bring this one to you because this guy who we got on the line, is going to sound a little different. He's not from around here, but he has killed almost 500 turkeys. We're working on it, yeah.
0: Uh, We've got uh, Rich on the line. and Rich, one more time for me because, again, I'm terrible with last names. How do you say your last name again?
2: Last name's uh, Tiberio.
0: Tiberio. So you're coming in from uh, Jersey, New Jersey, and uh, just like very, very experienced turkey hunter that we're going to really kind of break down what's helped you be successful through the years. But Rich, to kind of kick us off, uh, give a little background, kind of where you're from, of course, how old you are, and also, also how long have you been turkey hunting?
2: Oh, uh, Okay, I'm 72 years old, and I live in the, the north, I would say northwest or very northern part of the of New Jersey. We're in New York's New York, New York, New Jersey and Pennsylvania come together. And uh, again, I've been hunting turkeys 38 years in uh, eight states. I hunted turkeys about four or five years before they even opened up the state of New Jersey. And that was uh, turkey hunting in 1981.
0: Excellent. Now, you, so you've been to turkey hunting for quite a while. You've had a lot of success. You're 72 years old, so you've got a lot of kind of woodsmanship, I'm sure, that we'll talk about as well. But uh, if you would, I- explain kind of uh, maybe, of course, where are you at right now when it comes to harvest numbers, but also how have you been able to you know, have the success that you've had throughout the years?
2: well you know um I, the first guy that uh, turkey that i ever saw actually was near the delaware river there were no turkeys in in northern new jersey at the time matter of fact a, a little story here I, I was actually driving with my uh high school sweetheart we were in the in, in her uh father's car and there was in a a field that was there and it was a uh it's a giant bird there, and, and her father had seen turkeys before. They had flown across, maybe across the Delaware River, because and that was, I mean, we're going way back. I was 14, 15 years old, but it still is a picture in my mind, the size of the bird. I'm pretty sure it was a gobbler, and uh, you know, and I I couldn't get over it, but never knowing that you know that it would be. Come such a great part of my life in 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 hunting turkeys, and they, and I did see some later on in uh, in uh, in New York State where they did some stocking programs in New York State at all uh, as well.
0: So you kind of got in uh, again, kind of at an early age, kind of interested in the whole turkeys. You know, one thing that I think a lot of people would be surprised with is just how much success you've had. You know, you're, you're knocking on the door of 500 turkeys right now. I think you said uh, you're 498 uh, so far total. And of course, when this episode drops, anyone that uh, goes to our social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook, you'll see photos of some of these birds. And you have a really interesting photo that we'll, that we'll publish and show, uh, showing the 300 fans when you hit 300, uh, all kind of laid out, I guess, in the yard in front of the house, whatever, with you behind it. And it's very impressive. But as you told me it's missing 198 fans so that's something that's right. super impressive and I think a lot of people to see that number they're like how is that physically possible uh, just based off uh, you know kind of availability but really you know you're in a really good opportunity because you can hunt multiple different states and also just the way the permits and the seasons allow uh, allows you to be able to take quite a few birds per season and get a lot of experience on your belt if I had a guess.
2: Well, you know, one thing I want to clarify there, and I think you mentioned Wisconsin about unlimited permits for about the last 20 years, you know, New Jersey, you could buy as many. Matter of fact, I have to pick up the two permits go over that I put in for mail in. But after the 29th of March, you can buy as many permits. But over the last 20 years, you can you could buy as many permits over the counter that's there. And most of the time there was a lull there where there were extra permits, always extra permits available. And if they weren't available, then I went to another state. I like, I like hunting birds also where, where, you know, I don't know where they are, you know, so a lot of people can say, well, how did he kill 500 turkeys? Um, I will say, let me tell you something. It wasn't easy to do. And uh, how, how many times have i been beat by turkeys, I, I would say it's. I mean, if I mentioned to you fifty to one for every turkey's uh, turkey I killed, I probably didn't kill fifty, and that's probably the truth. I mean, at least getting them to gobble back and not come to me. But you know, the, I was lucky in northern New Jersey where the, the when they had the stocking program the first couple of years, the birds just propagated. So I was very lucky that I drew a permit for the 1981, I killed the sixth bird in the state of New Jersey, and I killed him about a quarter to, uh, it was very lucky, about a quarter to 12, and you weren't supposed to basically move, and you say you can't move and stalk. but I I got up and moved almost to walk back to the car, and I shot it with a browning two and three quarter inch that I had for years, and with a modified barrel, and I was really lucky to kill the bird, and I was just I was just totally stoked. So, so, you know, I've traveled a lot. I put, I put at least 4,000 miles on my car, either scouting or driving to another state. So I do, uh, I mean, I do an awful lot of scouting even today, maybe a little bit less than I did before, but you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's persistence as well.
0: So I want to talk a little bit more about your background because I want to kind of do a wide kind of sweep of everything here and then we're going to piece apart all these different topics from like how you scouted, how you have kind of learned, how gear has changed throughout the years and how you've, you know, transitioned with new technologies. But before we get into all those topics, when it comes to turkey hunting and kind of your experiences, I mean, is a lot of this on private land? Is a lot of this on public land? Is it a mix of both? Kind of what's your experience when it comes to turkey hunting and the land and the opportunity that you've been able to have in the, in your states?
2: Yeah, I would say it's a mix of both. I belong to a couple hunting clubs where there wasn't a lot of high pressure in that. Pre- those hunting clubs bordered state land and federal land, and uh, we have a, a a national wildlife refuge not too not too far from here. And that refuge goes from from uh, it's probably about maybe twenty miles long, twenty five miles long, and uh, in that whole area there, I mean there were there were at one time a lot of turkeys there. there again, the population is somewhat down, so. You know, there was a lot of area that that was there, and uh, we're very fortunate. Um, You know, I live in the area of Sussex County, New Jersey, and. And the Newark Watershed, uh, which is a property that's owned by the city of Newark, okay, the state of New Jersey, and this is protected area, and there's still quite a few birds that are there that you can hunt, and you could hunt there for with forty dollars, and we you you couldn't hunt it in a lifetime every single morning uh, to if you went out. So so that along with state land and private land, there's a lot of private land in the state of New Jersey, not just in northern New Jersey, but central and southern New Jersey. That's free and open land, and I. I'm to be true. I've never been crunched by a lot of guys uh before where I, you know, have been interfered with. I really haven't.
0: Now, also, Rich, uh, kind of give us a, a layout. You know, roughly how many days a season have, do you turkey hunt on average? You think?
2: On um, you know, on the average, if I you know, it starts the last week in 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 April. It used to start the third week in April, and they they cut it back. And so, basically, the last week in April to to the fourth about the fourth week in in may uh third or basically just four weeks of the season including uh you know the, the the those saturday permits as well which which i go after but and then that last week there's that whole week of um new york state i could still hunt that last week in new york state which like which i concentrate on so um yeah so there's a lot but days wise i would say scout you know if i start scouting now and you're just cruising around now um this i probably actually hunt uh probably i would say it's probably close to 42 or 43 days uh straight and then um and then before that i'm scouting you know all the time i mean if i take a ride in the car with my dogs or anytime i'm i go out you know i'm i'm constantly scouting i'm constantly out looking for tracks not so much calling but just seeing where the birds are so uh, i i spend a tremendous amount of time uh, I mean, I I calculated over 38 years how many days I actually spent turkey hunting, and it's 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 just short of 10 years, <laughs> believe it or not. That's <laughs> 10 years out of my life um, that I that I've done that. And I I put a pedometer on myself. I clocked 502 miles in one season. That's scouting and and roosting birds at night, and then coming out and going back and hunting the birds in the morning.
1: Man, time well spent. So, uh, well, Rich. One thing that you talked about that I love is that, like, right as we led into this, you were talking about, you know, all the times that you don't kill a bird, which if you're a, if you're a new turkey hunter, that is super important to realize. And and you really got to, like, love the process. And, and the more you get to get into turkey hunting and get to know it, the more that you, like, will love that process. But um, I, I really want to hit on scouting, uh, you know, just kind of lead in, because kind of the way that that we kind of always structure the show is, you know, you, you can't kill them if you can't find them. So let's talk about finding them first. So what are the things that you do, especially before the season, to kind of kick off your year and start locating turkeys?
2: You know, a lot of it depends on the spring. Like this is a real late, this is going to be a late spring. Last year, last two years in northern New Jersey, we, we barely had any kind of winter at all. I mean, we had some snow, but then it went then it went away. Where right now, I mean, I think these birds are really hurting right now. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot, of, a whole lot of food. But the but the birds are are tough. So, uh, you know, I spend like I said, I spend a lot of time uh, out there just you know cruising the roads, cruising the farms. A, a, a farmer just put out some um, a whole load of manure out there, and sure enough, I mean I don't know how they found it, but they found it, and they're you know they're there. Matter of fact, I went, rode by uh, I rode by late, and they they weren't roosted too far away.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm looking I'm looking on you know I, I'm looking. As soon as the snow gets, I mean, we still have a foot of snow on the ground here that's even frozen or semi frozen. So it's really been hard to get out. But if it wasn't, you know, same thing. I've been walking the logging roads. uh, I don't spend a lot of time doing any kind of calling or anything like that. But if, if the season was warmer, I would call a little bit intermittently here and there. But, um, you know, I, again, the, the amount of time. Uh, Earl Mickle, who had one of the largest collections uh, of turkey calls, he had every possible call, I mean, high-end call. And he, he drove to a lot of states all over the place and then did a short article on each one. Um, uh, it's called The Turkey Hunter's Book. He re- actually wrote three, three books on turkey hunting.
1: When it comes to this, like, preseason scouting, um, so you mentioned, like, kind of driving around uh and and checking pastures and stuff uh do you do any like boots on the ground like get in the woods and looking for sign uh maybe once the snow melts off i mean what does that process look like for you
2: oh yeah you know i'm looking for turkey scratch i'm looking for a sign i'm looking for anything at any time but you know sometimes there's not a lot of sign that's left by and they i mean if they're walk just walking through and cruising through sometimes you not less i mean if you get a, a larger flock the flock i saw the other day is there was about 25 birds there. So, so if you go through there, you know you're going to see you're going to see a lot of sign. There were very, very, uh, basically before, uh, you know, like I said, when there was a large population within 10 miles of where I lived, or even 20 or 30 miles. I mean, there were a lot of turkeys. So, the more turkeys there are, the more that you can learn. That's how I learned a whole lot by, I, I watching these birds fly up and uh, and fly down, fly up cackles, fly down cackles you know, calling one gentleman, Rich Martinez said, he doesn't call to a bird in a tree. And I, I've used, a, I know if you've ever heard of a chisel call or I used a trumpet a lot, just very slight yelps in there because I hunted a lot before school. That's one thing I'm maybe going into a little bit is that, you know, I, I only, a lot of guys can only hunt the weekends and, and basically I wanted to hunt a lot more of that, but due to the fact that I live so close, I was able to roost birds at night. I mean, sometimes not get back until nine o'clock at night, you know, get up early in the morning and get as close as I could and try to call them and try to call the bird in. And sometimes I had to, I had to get back by six 30, quarter to seven. And many times I lost, I left literally hundreds of birds over 38 years where I couldn't work the bird.
1: Oh, wow. So let me ask, is there a time where it is like, is it is there such a thing as it being like too early to scout as in if you if you go out like for us our season is about uh, a little bit over 20 days out right now is it too like if i go find some turkeys right now will they have moved on like is it worth my time to go put boots on the ground and, and find them right now or will i just have to relocate them once season comes in
2: you know i heard that uh heard the other guy say the same thing yeah they kind of I mean they kind of switch off I mean it, it's kind of it's not a productive to a certain extent right now. I mean, if I mean, right, especially with me right now, but with the, with the snow being on the ground with you being on the ground there, I, I would say any anytime that you could still spend being out there, whether you're just out there for the exercise or, or looking for birds, but you know, I, I concentrated mentally. I mean, like, I, I mean, I did everything in the beginning to try and find birds and finding birds was the, is the key to killing bird. Barry and Gene Wenzel moved from the, from the, from uh, the, from the, um, uh, the milk river to Iowa cause they want to kill bigger and better and better bucks. Well, it's the same thing, you know, same thing, not, not killing a, a, a big Turkey, whatever, but, but um, you know, just, you know, doing the research as much as you can. The, I believe the more that you can get out there because you know, you don't know when you're going to run into them. You, you could be out there one time and say, well, there's no turkeys here. You go back two or three days later, a week later, and all of a sudden the birds are there. So it gives you that confidence to go back with little in, in confidence uh, is is the big key to being successful.
1: So are you going out and trying to locate uh, like a bunch of different groups of birds and kind of like in a way like mark toms uh, to come back to? Or is it just like, is it less like, uh, I don't know, like organizing that? Like are you just going out and finding turkeys or are you like going out and finding like a group here, a group there and kind of keeping tabs on them?
2: You, you know, when there were a lot of birds and I still do it now, You know, a lot of times I just if I find find a rooster bird. If I if that's the bird I want to hunt, then I'll I'll go in. If it's not and it wasn't conducive to like at the time, I told you I I had to get back to the house and get back to school and drive maybe an hour an hour to work so it, i i chose the the best location for me to get in there and get out as quick as i can if i if i could kill that bird and sometimes the, the kill was very easy and other times the bird i mean it was right at the border where i had to get back and you know and get back to the house and stuff but but again finding finding the birds i mean to kill the number i've killed you can imagine the amount of time that I uh, I spent out there. I mean, the, you know, rainy weather, cold weather, you know, it didn't matter to me. I mean, killing the bird. I mean, I I, I was out there to be successful. I mean, I I didn't go out there for a stroll. Trust me when I said that. Uh, I went out there with one goal in mind and that was to kill a turkey. It was like, Nothing to the right, nothing to the left, just concentrating on, on killing the bird. And, and I did everything I possibly could, whether it was learning, learning how to use the best coals I possibly can and varying those coals. Uh, well, you know, as I be, progressed as a turkey hunter, you know, I, I'm not a master at each one, but I use a tube and a, I'm a big trumpet player. And, uh, but I always have a slit used, started with a Cody's Cody's uh, glass coal and a DD Adams. So, um, you know, I use whatever I could and try to master each call. I'm I'm not a master of a, like with some guys are, but, but, uh, I'm very confident in the calls that I have.
1: So I, when you were talking about that, something just dawned on me, like the number of, of turkeys you've killed over these years, there had to be a moment where you went from like going out and, and like, and just kind of turkey hunting to where you, you really started being efficient and started knocking them down. And that's the only way you could rack up those numbers. So, I mean what is uh what is is there something that clicked for you uh early on where where after you figured out this one detail or, or one tactic or whatever, you started being a lot more efficient and started killing a lot more birds? <laughs>
2: Well, you know you could you could put so many things into perspective that way you could put the gun in perspective you could put the coal in perspective that way that, that the coal that you use the coal that you use with the most confidence a lot of times that whatever somebody starts hunting with and gains confidence kills that first bird they're they're they tend to go back to that same call, which is, which is good. I mean, being proficient in in, with one or two calls is really great. But I found later on that, that some birds just just did not respond to that. So, you know, I had to switch to, you know, switch to a box call or a slave call. I don't carry a lot of whole, a whole bunch of calls, but, you know, always have a, a slate and a box and a, uh, I, I use a tube call, so to roost birds, to fly, and you know, I use a fly up, uh, a fly up, a cackle on a, on a tube call and a fly down tackle some, sometimes on a tube call as well. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, it, it's this, the turkey will dictate the situation. And sometimes no matter what you do, I mean, you could be, if you're successful that one time with that one, with that call and that method and maybe successful that time with that bird, but another time it it won't be successful. So there's so many different variables and, you know, after a while you just listen to a bird and you could just, whether he's just gobbling back or whether he's screaming back to you. Um, you know, it comes with experience. Again, I mentioned the other guy, saying about when I can move and when I can't move and that and that comes with experience too. I, I've moved many times and I mean, got away with a whole lot and I killed a bird. And, and then later on, you get too cocky and you, and you start moving again and, and think you get away with something where you should really count it on your calling. If I would have counted on my calling many times, I would have probably killed uh, you know, I probably would have been past 500, you know, a, a long time ago, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, no, I, I killed a lot of birds. I mean, I'm, I, I, if I had 15 permits, I can, sometimes I kill 15 birds and, and I've gone a week or seven, eight days and not killed a bird. So it's not that there's any kind of guarantee that there, and anybody said that uh, turkeys are stupid. And I can go out there and kill a bird anytime I want. Well, I, I don't know what, maybe you're talking about a different bird.
0: Rich, I, I got to kind of re this question that Andrew asked and, and see maybe if we could dive a little more into it. Do you remember a time or a year when you went from, you know, just kind of getting into turkey hunting to something clicked with you and you, you just started having more success? Was there something that you remember changing or something that you remember learning and doing <laughs> that started helping you have more success, especially earlier on? Uh,
2: but, Well, one of the things, you know, like I said, I – uh, I, I used a, a, a Browning two and three quarter inch gun. And back then, if you're going back many years ago, the gun would just was not, it was an okay gun. It, w- it wasn't efficient Turkey gun. So number one, um, one of the things I really believed in and still, and, uh, and, and again, it could be, it's very contradictory today, but I, you know, I read a couple of books, John McDaniel, uh, a great guy who wrote three books on Turkey hunting was a big uh, advocate of using a 10 gauge and, and, you know, and where I hunted, I I had to be able to extend that range a little bit if the bird got to be 45 or 50 yards away. So I, I, you know, I killed a bunch, I killed maybe 250 birds with Ithaca 10 and then, you know, started to switch to some other guns, but the shot, the, the, the instrument that used the, it's no different than than Tiger Woods using a certain set of clubs and feeling confident with it. You know, the gun, if, if you're not comfortable with the gun, it's another story. But again, today that, that whole scenario has changed because of, because of, you know, TSS and, and, and heavy shot. And so you're able to exchange, I think I talked to Jacob about 20 yards. I mean, a, a 20 gauge, using a 20 gauge where you can kill birds at 45 and 48 yards and maybe even 50 yards with a 20 gauge if you've done some extensive work and got a great choke tube. So, so but again, finding, I mean, I'm not trying to evade the issue, but, you know, finding the birds and having a lot of birds to hear and listen to and work that's what's going to give you the the experience as to what, you know, what call to use, especially even with, you know, in working a hen, I, I killed a lot of gobblers because, you know, I really pissed off the hen. And so they, that main hen came and, and the rest of them came too as well, and, and sometimes that's to a dis, that's to a disadvantage because they're gonna, you know, again, you're gonna pick, you're gonna they're gonna pick you up. That's gonna you're gonna have to take that shot at forty or forty five yards.
0: Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit. I'm gonna talk a lot more about confidence, but before I want to dive more into like that whole aspect of hunting with confidence, which we talked a lot about during uh, deer season, uh, but will translate very well to what you've been doing and, and kind of how you've learned to be confident, be a good woodsman, and understand, you know, these birds that you're working in and kind of. Understand how to handle different situations, but you, you brought up the whole uh, the whole like uh, gun TSS thing and how things have changed technology wise. And you were talking about back when you first got started. You know there was a, a certain gentleman that was really talking about like hunting with ten gauges, and that really influenced you. And he started hunting a lot with ten gauges. You know, what is your thought, especially now seeing how in the last you know five ten years how technology's changed? You're starting to see incorporation of TSS, and you're seeing guys kill. You know, you're seeing guys kill turkeys at you know 35, 40 yards with a 410 with TSS. I mean, does that kind of kind of blow your mind thinking back when you were hunting with a 10 gauge, you know, packing a heavy load, you know, killing birds at you know nice ranges to kind of what's changed recently?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know that that that's such a big um. I can you can have a whole podcast just on on gauges and. Um, you know, shells and, and, and show tubes and everything, uh, you know, back then, I mean, and it wasn't really a disadvantage with the 10 because, you know, if the bird moved a little bit to the right or left and I was using number fours, whether it be federal Winchester at the time, I wasn't using nitro loads. And um, so if the bird was a little bit to the right or left, I was still hitting him, hitting him enough with the with number fours. Again, okay? that, that's what I preferred to at the time. I've killed him with sixes already. But but uh, but I with number fours, I was still able to get the bird where I've missed birds. OK, with with the really tight guns that I have, you know, because the whole philosophy was, you know, you, you want the tightest choke with the tightest pattern. And and the other gentleman said he'd shoot with an improved cylinder gun. And uh, and he probably killed with today's shot. He probably could still kill a bird with an improved cylinder barrel, modified barrel, and and because of the because of the choke tube and the guns and the shells it's totally different compared to what it was and i recently spoke to john mcdaniel who did extensive testing with the 10 gauge and his whole philosophy never think that he changes philosophy on the 10 gauge as well but when you carry a 10 gauge for two or three miles walking around if, if more i mean it's going to take its toll on you so again the, the i mean the I, I killed i went to ohio and i killed a bird i bought a Stevens 301 and I, I put a banner a banner scope on it and um yeah so I was still getting like 70 or 80 pellets in a 10 inch circle at 40 yards so that's unbelievable it's not allowed in the state of New Jersey uh, to shoot um uh, you know 410 but uh, nitro loads if you look at his uh, his website I mean you're shooting a three and a half inch gun or a 10 inch gun I mean you, you're they're putting you know like 350 to, to almost five over 500 pellets in a 10 inch circle at 40 yards that's unbelievable i mean and and, and you explain is that remember it's almost like shooting a deer i mean that's why the scope and the aim point and the red dot scopes have really you know helped except if a bird gets up and flies then then it's a different story altogether you wish you had the you know shooting down a bead
0: oh yeah for sure and i listen i've missed my hand my, my i've missed handfuls of turkeys <laughs> just because of whatever reason i'll make up all kinds of excuses but um <laughs> You know, Rich, I want to get back over uh, to this the, the conversation of hunting with confidence and how that's helped you be successful and kind of done what you do. You know, you talk about how you like using certain calls tube calls, trumpet calls, box calls, slate. Uh, that's what you're really comfortable with. Um, you know, you might not be, it sounds like you're not the kind of guy to really run a mouth call, uh, which, you know, diaphragm call that a lot of guys use. Because, again, you're confident in what you're already doing and you're confident with how you scout and how you locate and how you kill birds based off your experience and also your woodsman. What's allowed you to have the confidence that you have to be able to go out there and be successful?
2: You know the the woodsmanship. I, I mean, I was hunting. Like I guess that I mentioned about how I saw that uh, that, that wild turkey with oh, uh, years ago. The first wild turkey. So I was a big groundhog hunter and shooting a twenty two two fifty since I was a since I was a kid at twenty two. And then I said, to my father, you know, I mean, I, I I hunting groundhogs and I had beagles for years. So. I had a certain, a a large amount of woodsmanship already and then hunting deer. So, so all, all this combined, you know, being, being a phys ed teacher, being in really good shape, there isn't any Ridge I'm not going to, that I'm not going to cross, or or I always want to go to the next Ridge. I always wanted to push myself, you know, that much further in, in doing whatever I did, whether it be, you know, deer hunting or rabbit hunting or, and especially with, 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 with Turkey hunting. And, um, so, so again, I mean, I, I would say in general, I mean, um, and I mentioned to you, I, I think a uh, good southern uh, uh, woodsman, northern woodsman, uh, I, I, I like southern, I southern boys are good turkey hunters. They, I think southern people are tough people because it's it, old school turkey hunters started way before there were any birds even in even up north before they were stocked. So they had a certain style of um of hunting with persistence and and patience. Oh my God! You know coal, and then put the coal down, and pick up and pick up the coal a half hour later, and basically that's that's how they kill birds. But not to get off the subject again. Could you repeat the question again for me?
0: Yeah, I mean, what's kind of helped you have the confidence that you've had? You know, we talked about there are certain calls that you like to use, uh, the shotgun, just your style of hunting. But over the years with your woodsmanship and everything else. What are some of the things that have truly given you the confidence to go out there and have the success? Like you're talking about, you know, if, if you're going out there with a the mindset, hey, I'm killing a turkey. I'm not just going out there walking in the woods. I'm going out to kill a turkey. What gives you that confidence to go out there and be able to do that?
2: A lot of the birds that I killed because you know when and how I got back up in the morning. I just got in the house at nine o'clock at night from roosting a bird. I, I got to be back up at three thirty in the morning to maybe walk forty-five minutes, fifty minutes to get to the bird where I was before. So knowing that bird is just knowing that bird is there gives you a tremendous amount of confidence. Just like if somebody's got a trail cam picture of a of a buck or deer or a big buck. And you know that deer is in that area, some, I mean, that turkey's in that area or that deer is in that area somewhere. But to know that bird gobbled and you left them that night, that night, and you're going in in the morning, you know, he's going to gobble more or less. You know, I mean, I, I can't recall any time that a bird like didn't gobble, maybe only gobble once or twice, depending on the weather or just, I mean, and which was kind of like unusual the more birds. The more they're going to gobble, but but you know, not being confident and know that knowing that the birds are there, that was a big choice, especially with the amount of birds that were in my area. And even if I did leave that area and didn't kill a bird, and I was able to, well, it was if I was off from school or. Or if it was a Saturday I was hunting, that I could go to another area and start working a bird and then learning from that bird uh, and carrying that experience over. A lot of it has to do with more experience. As soon as you hear that bird, it's like a computer going off in your head. I got to I got to do A, B, C and D. And then hopefully, you know, I'm going to use this call, that call, the other call and then. The other thing I mentioned is uh, I was a big, I used the diaphragm quite a bit in the slate call and a box call, but, uh, and I, and I was a better diaphragm call when I was younger. And, but I always have the diaphragm call in my mouth. I mean, even though if I'm using a tube call or, I mean, when I know, when I hear that bird, I put that diaphragm call in my mouth because a lot of times I've seen them hang up and they only needed that little cluck or that little prayer, Okay. Just a little bit, just to bring them that other, 10 or 15 yards okay um in order for me to uh, to kill that bird but the the diaphragm uh, I you know is it's still always there
1: well so one thing that you uh, mentioned earlier that caught my attention that I wanted to ask about is you keep talking about roosting birds, and then going back, and, and you might be hunting them before work, so you don't have a lot of time to kill these things. So your setup right there on the roost is, is super important. And I'm really interested in this because this is how my hunting's going to be a lot this year. I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, roost hunting, like hunting right at daylight, where I I got to get the thing killed, you know, very quickly so I can get back home and get to work. So I, what I'm wondering about is, let's say that you have a bird roosted, what are some of the things that you're going to consider? when you're going in there to make a setup on him where you're trying to kill that thing, I mean, as soon as he pitches down or or right after he pitches down?
2: You know, these are... Yeah, I read a great article. I can't remember the person, but there's a whole science in roosting birds and being really, really careful. I mean, I've seen guys walk in the field, and, and the birds have been out there in the field not too long. And, you know, and this is, you know, it's getting close to fly up time. And that fly up time is really important because once that bird sits down, I've seen him gobble on the roost sitting down. The more birds that are there, the more likely you can get them to gobble uh, that's there. But, you know, I'm trying to move in after, once they, after they fly up and they settle down a little bit, and before the leaves get on the trees, once the leaves get on the trees, it gets much more difficult. I mean, the bird, okay, the bird gobbles, you really can't see him, but you know he's in, he's within 100 yards. So, so again, um, it's, it's putting in that time, you know, to, to boost it. But I've seen guys come in in the morning where the birds are looking at them in the field, and they're setting up decoys in the field, and these birds are they're up on their feet already you know 10 after five a quarter after five sometimes i've seen them up and then sit back down again so if you're walking in that field and then seeing the birds turn around and say look they're you know they're not going to come that way so so being in the dark i mean i've walked in in the dark not in the dark but i've walked uh, you know roosted stood still and then got a little bit closer to see where the birds are and then did not walk out until it got dark I mean, literally dark, and then and the same thing. Getting back in, walking in in dark, you can get away with some noise here and there, but I, I've accidentally flushed birds because they move from one street to another, you know, many many times.
1: So, so you're when it's getting dark and you're roosting them, you're actually pushing the envelope and sneaking in closer and trying to actually look and see where the bird is.
2: Absolutely. You know, the one thing I really do is, too, is I carry either 10 by 50 or 12 by 50 binoculars, which I always carried with me and still do. So uh, so I'm able to I'm able to pick out most of the time, you know, which bird is the gobbler and which, you know, which is the hand, which is the Jake, which ways which way is he facing? Because most of the time I didn't, didn't hear somebody say this, but most of the time, which way they're facing that's the way they're going to fly down. I mean not to say you can't turn them around. You you can, and I've had it happen where I've turned them around, but it all depends on how many hens are with him, you know, or how many other gobblers. And I've seen I've seen uh, the uh, older gobblers fly down first, you know, in 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 the other guys fly down later on, the other jakes and hens. And I've seen older gobblers after everybody flew down and they're in the tree for another 20 or 25 minutes before they fly down so so again you have to be really aware because okay you're going to kill this bird but the other bigger bird is um is is still in the tree if that's what if that's basically Mm -hmm. what you're after
1: yeah so this is where the devil's in the details so so like you go in there and 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 you're trying to see the bird on the limb and that's not something i've ever done so at this point That's a good piece of advice, but I'm wondering like, okay, what do I do with that information though? You know, when I see that bird on the limb and and maybe see what's around him, you know, how do you use that information to know how to set up on him? I mean, like, how do you, are you trying to figure out exactly which tree you should be up against before daylight, are you trying to figure out what kind of calling you're gonna to do to him uh, by seeing his location and maybe his demeanor? Like what what are maybe dive into like some of the finer details of it and what they mean and, and how you process that?
2: oh okay if i if i'm going in sometimes on a logging road and it's it's kind of dark and i you know i want to know exactly where i where i'm going to go i mark i'll mark a a line on that logging road because i've made mistakes and they make a line and it's and it's there's no moon and it's pitch dark so i mark that spot with a tree a tree limb or, or my boot on this so i know exactly where to go in and how far to go in you can't I mean, I've had f- birds fly fly right over the top of my head sometimes, you know, because I I, I should have been back fifty yards because I or it was uh, 60, 70 yards, and had him walk right to the logging road that I was on. So so once I find the bird that's there, I mean, I still roost birds, uh, not not to the extent that I did it before because there's not as many birds. But but uh, and the same thing. Uh, the, you said the one guy doesn't call to a bird. I I, I mean, I I had him with just. A, just a tree, just a light, light tree coal. Again, if you've heard of a, a Chisholm coal, it's a trow coal. Actually, the tr- this trow coal was actually copied by um, uh, uh, Earl Chisholm developed the coal and uh, uh out of a piece of cypress with aluminum strip and uh actually ben rogers lee came up with the same call only only he patented so just this trail call i've been very successful with but you could do it with it i mean you could do it with anything you do it with a slate but i just a little bit and i've seen him gobble back you know from 200 yards away the lightest call you pop no wind quiet just i said no he can't be gobbling back to me and sure enough i mean this bird they're able to hear a tremendous uh, amount. And then, and then I don't give him too much after that. I mean, I really don't give him too much after that and let him come mm-hmm. looking, let him come looking for me. So that's my scenario from there. Again, again, uh, I mean, I'm retired now, so if I do roost the bird, I can still work the bird and anticipate which way he's going to go. But if there's a field there and he's next to, he's roosted close by and he's facing that way, well, then I'm not going to set up there because he's only going to, he's only going to pitch out and go in the opposite direction, and and then the whole game starts all over with after that. If I have to, you know, circle him and then and then and, and, and try to call him in, and if he's out in the field, it's going to be that much more difficult. So
1: are you trying to let's say let's say there's no fields around it's more like a big big woods type environment are you trying to figure out a way that you can set up on top of that gobbler um like or or up above him in elevation
2: you know um it's not it's to me it's always been very difficult to kill a bird downhill i've done it like once or twice and i can't really say it was downhill You know, basically they like to, you know, it's always been a strategy is, and which, which a a lot of birds have beaten me that way. If um, if I'm on top of the hill and they're below me, I mean, when they come up, you, you, you better be anticipating which way they're going to come up. And I've gotten caught, I've gotten caught looking down the bead, you know, to the right or left and all of a sudden they're there. And and sometimes then, you know, the game is over with, I mean, I've had birds so close sometimes, and 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 not kill the bird because I didn't anticipate anticipation as to which way the bird is coming will be the, the difference whether you walk out of the woods woods with the bird over your back or not. So the and, So that is really critical, especially in mountain woods. You know, I just watched a, a video on TV just before, and the bird actually snuck right around the guy and the guy's filming him, and the, the guy the bird walked right around the and totally quiet, never never gobbled. It was just a, a great video that that I just saw i probably about an out hour, two hours ago on TV. So anticipation of which way the bird is going to come and, and having the gun up, looking down, looking down the bead is, is really, really important.
1: When you're walking in, uh, in the evening and roosting them and, and then walking up there and trying to get a visual on the gobbler, uh, are you, are you walking into the point where you're like trying to pick the exact tree that you're going to hunt him from, or are you just more trying to confirm his location?
2: No, it's a combination of both. I'm trying to pick a, okay, there's a good tree. I mean, the ground is kind of, uh, it's a little, you know, it's a little flat where I can stay a little bit, you know, and um, so it's kind of like, okay, you know, where is he? What do I think he's going to do if he's done? and, And I've hunted a lot of the spots that I've hunted, I've hunted previously. So the birds tend to sometimes... Many times follow the same pattern, but I've seen them completely do the the exact opposite what I thought they were going to do and say, you know, how could this be? And they went out this way every single day and all of a sudden they turn around and do and and the hen flies out. And that's that's the way, you know, that I I had hens fly out one way, the gobbler fly out the other way and and go in the complete direction. I think sometimes it has to do with the with that one dominant hen that he wants to be with. So if you can, I mean, that's pretty tough to figure out that way. So you no, know, it's a combination of, again, strategically knowing, you know, you know, you know, when I walk in the, the spot that I pick, where is he in the tree? You know, did I pick the right tree? And many, many times I picked the wrong tree, but you know, many, many times I picked the right tree. I mean, I've killed, I've killed birds, you know, and, and roosting birds and, where uh, it, it almost was too easy to a certain extent. I, I hate to say that, but then then uh, the following week later, you know, it, it, I, I, hunt, I hunt a whole week where I had birds gobbling in two or three different spots and not kill the bird.
0: Rich, would you talk about the importance of the entrance and exit plan for roosting birds?
2: yeah i mean you have to get in you have to get in quiet and the, the key is if they see you and you're they're out in the field over there and see guys you know again then guys walking around and i say i said like like what are you doing like wait if you're gonna hunt there you know wait till they're they're in and a lot of times you know if the weather depends on a lot depends on the weather if they, if that weather is 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 really you know getting to be uh bad it's going to rain a front's coming in you know they'll they'll tend to fly up a little bit sooner okay and i mean i've seen them fly up at 7 30 and i've seen them fly up like where it was dark it was almost dark i mean how they even even flew up sometimes i heard them flying up and, we, and, and I, this happened to me many times where i've heard them fly up and, and couldn't locate them because it, it just got too dark so everything is strategic and it's almost like it's almost like an you know, I loved it because it's it's an army. It's almost like an army type game. You know, it's like a, you're you're trying to win this battle in and, and the knowledge that you have where today in today's day and age with videotapes and everything that you have. I learned on a one on one situation with where it wasn't that many videotapes. I mean, Dick Kirby had some out and Primo's had some out. But prior to that, there was hardly anything at all.
0: Yeah, one thing that's interesting about uh, you and kind of, you know, hunting and focusing on roost locations and having a lot of success doing that is, you know, you're doing this way before any kind of technology was around like we have now with smartphones and like Onyx and Hunt Stand, where you can drop a pin exactly in the same tree that birds are sitting in and you can, you know, walk within, you could draw a circle, you know, of 60 yards around that tree or 100 yards around that tree and get right to that perfect point. You know, with today's technology, where back then you were doing a lot of it just based off woodsmanship and based off uh, really just kind of guessing on the scenario, you know, kind of getting back in an area and thinking, okay, I think he's – 80 to hundred yards away, which really he might not be. But again, uh, it is kind of interesting just how technologies change. And let me ask, do you take, when it comes to roosting, I mean, do you still kind of do what you used to do in the past or do you now use some of this newer technology, like, uh, these new apps that kind of help you pinpoint exactly where, you know, some of these birds are actually roosting for you to be able to get a little more accurate on where you want to set up. Um,
2: you know, I really don't use them. Um, uh, you know, I really, I'm not, uh, not to say I don't know about apps and and, and, and maps, uh, you know, and Google and Google different things. But, you know, I've hunted these areas that I've hunted for many, many years. So I'm very familiar with the ground. I mean, I, you're familiar with the ground is going to a lot of times going to even if you've only been in there one time, you say, well, you know, I, I can't. There's no way I'm going to get through that swamp. I can, I'm going to have to go around. So your knowledge of the area is really is really critical. You know, I mean, I like to hunt new spots and stuff like that, but I also like to know, you know, uh, you know, and most of the, a lot of the hunting I've done by myself, it's been a one on one competition. I've brought my, my son, my I, I've called in 19 birds for my son and made it very easy for him because, you know, I roosted the bird, he knew where the bird was, it was a matter of me, it was a matter of me calling the bird in. And um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's, there's so many variables that dictate that. But but no, I don't use any apps. Uh, basically, it comes with experience. And even with yourself, you, you, it, you if you're going to hunt a spot that you're familiar with and, and, and you're going to go in there, n- know the terrain because it's going to be the difference between you killing the bird and not killing the bird.
0: Richard, you know, one thing I'm very interested in is when it comes, you know, we kind of talked about technology and how you don't really necessarily, you don't use any kind of apps or any kind of mapping systems because you're just kind of going based off your local knowledge of the area. Um, But what is, out of these 498 turkeys that you've killed, okay, 498 turkeys, if you had to approximate roughly how many percentage of those birds did you kill within that first maybe hour and a half of daylight, like right off the roost?
2: Uh, In the beginning, I would say there was because I work in the bird in the beginning, I probably killed, I I would say I would probably killed um, 40 percent of the birds that I killed were were 35 were off the roost and was able to work the bird, you know, a little bit. That had the bird come in i mean it was just this thrilling but but it's not to me uh after a while even roosting a bird right now i i enjoy working a bird that's in the mountains and working the bird a little bit the the birds that i've got the most enjoyment f- from is the birds that i've worked for and uh, not that i want an hour hour and a half sometimes a it goes, I mean, I'd, I'd work birds from the early morning and not have them gobble and go back to the area and work them for a really long time. So, I mean, killing a turkey is is killing a turkey. And if it, I mean, you, you have to take advantage of the bird you're going to kill today because the, uh, there, there's a motto, say the bird you kill today, if you, uh, shot, if you get a shot today, there's, there's a good chance you're not going to kill them tomorrow. I mean, a lot of times you can go back to that same hill, that same uh, ridge and and yeah, I mean, I've been successful going back a couple different times, but usually, most of the time, you're only you're it's only going to be. I found you're only going to get a one shot deal out of the, out of those. Maybe you're not mind not kill that bird, but you might kill another bird.
0: Now, would you say again that you know quite a few? You know, I don't know if it'd be a majority, but um, you know, roughly how many percent? Like, if you had to put a percentage to it, how many birds do you think you've killed right off the roost? You know, within say 30 minutes of fly down.
2: Well, during the years that I was teaching, I would say, uh, out of all those birds, probably, probably maybe 175 birds around there. I'd have to look at my log to to, to take a look at the log mm-hmm. and say which birds were roosted. I had, in fact, I had down where, when, roosted or not roosted, you know. So I would say probably about, probably about 175. I mean, I don't know exactly, but there was a lot of birds I killed off the roost. And, you know, it felt very rewarded. I mean, sometimes they they were they were sometimes they were further away than what I really thought they were if it weren't exactly roosted there I might not have killed that bird that was right on the roost because he flew out but all of a sudden there's a bird to the right or left that flew up that I didn't even know was there and that happened that's happened to me a lot where okay I'm after the one bird all of a sudden I turn around and look and, and there's a bird there and most of the time uh, I'm roosting a bird I'd I, I used the decoy a few times. If I can get away with it, and putting a decoy out, but then getting a the decoy out and putting a decoy out, and then and then sneaking back, I didn't want to take any chances of spooking the birds. So most of the birds were not uh, were not decoyed off the roost.
0: Now you mentioned one thing. I want to kind of jump to because I think this is a lot of the meat and potatoes is. You have, and, and all the listeners are about to learn this, but you have documented every single bird that you've ever killed, you've actually documented in quite a bit detail of the actual kill itself in the actual journal. Can you explain a little bit about this kind of killing journal of how you document all these kills and kind of what are some of the, uh, some of the different things that you document for every turkey that you've killed?
2: Okay. You know, I, I basically where I had different names and, you know, Turkey mountain, Turkey swamp. Okay. The different forms, I I gave names to the different forms that that were, I hunted. Okay. Sun with with Sunrise mountain. Okay. Turkey mountain. So I gave names to almost every different spot. I did kill a lot of turkeys in the same, in the same general area, if not right there, maybe a half a mile to a mile away from there. So I, 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 I put down the time, whether I killed it, you know, uh, you know, before a lot of times I've killed a lot of birds between a quarter to six and quarter after six. So, uh, with time I killed the bird, uh, what the weather was like. Okay. The date, the date of the bird, I would, whatever date to see, it, and I've killed a lot of birds in the, in the beginning coming up to that, um, you know, and, and even afterwards, even more so from the 7th to the 14th of May when those hens are on eggs. And I, I, I you know, I, I had, I have quite a few guns that I felt confident with that I've used and three, four, three of them are 10 gauges and three and a half inch, a couple 20 gauges. And then I, I did an autopsy just to see, okay, I use number fours. I mean, I mean, um, you know, what exactly damage did I do to the bird? And, uh, and I took weight and most of the birds, if they were Jake's, I didn't, I didn't bother too much, you know, with the weight. But yeah, you know, again, one thing I want to expl- explain to you is that, um, to me, it really didn't care. I mean, people say, "Oh, you know," they look at the spur and they look at the beard and they look at. To me, that that really didn't matter to me. In the beginning, it did a little bit. Now it's all about the bird. I mean, it's there's a bird out there that's 18 pounds and a bird that's 20 pounds out in the field. You can't really tell the difference. A 17 or 18 pound bird, 16, that's a big bird. That's big. That's bigger than any goose that's flying. Great Northern Goose that's flying in the sky. So the bird is deserves a tremendous amount of respect because of the physical, the physical attributes of the bird is just tremendous. I mean, so, so I, i you know keeping a detailed log. Uh, I started from the beginning and I just happened to, you know, I think I have about five books now, uh, five books, logs, log books that I have in, um, and again, I've killed some, I, I killed some Jake's, but, uh, in Jersey, I, I, I basically would pass up a Jake until Friday. If there were more than three Jake's, I would kill the Jake uh, and one of the Jakes thinking that maybe the Jake would either, you know, get killed by somebody else, something or somebody else or get hit by a car. So if there was more than three Jakes, I would take one. Otherwise I wouldn't take, I wouldn't kill the Jake from Monday to, from Monday to Thursday. I just, you know, uh, I've seen where I've left Jakes and went back the following year and killed and killed a two year old bird or a three year old bird. So the weight and spur and stuff like that, it's a bonus because when you guys, when you walk up there, you don't know whether the bird's got an inch and three eighths or inch and a half or inch and a quarter. And does it really matter? I don't, to me, it didn't matter. Uh, and it's thing with the beard. And I mentioned to you that I killed nine with two beards and only one, only one bird with three beards. And that was the, I think that was the third bird I ever killed in my, uh, with three beards.
0: Now, you know. With this log, it's really interesting because you documented everything uh, throughout the years, uh, which I'm sure you know. We're going to get close to the end of this episode. We're actually talking about the book that you're actually writing right now. Um, But when it comes to like this log of all these all these kills that you've documented, has there been any, um, especially any kind of weather or um, habitat? Uh, types or has there been any kind of pattern that you've seen that's helped you be successful especially when it comes around you know of course certain times of the year but if there was any kind of especially uh, pattern with weather fronts and uh, gobbling activity or anything like that
2: uh, you know I would say um, when it's you know really pouring down rain I mean pouring pouring I, I would say the activity really cuts down I've seen them pitch down the bottom of the tree and not you know avoid uh, avoid You know, I I actually sometimes not avoid the fields. I've seen them in the fields, you know, when it's really wet sometimes. And sometimes, you know, until things settle down and, and it stops raining. But, you know, there's so many different variables with weather sometimes and you know, you figure that the birds should be gobbling like crazy one day, and the next day or not, you just don't know what's with what their head, uh, what's in their head. You know, um, I, I I listened to a, a YouTube video of Zach Farmer. He, he makes the, the, the famous sought-after tube call. I mean, a uh, trumpet call, which I have, and um, and that's a whole story waiting for that call. And uh, uh, he said. Uh, the turkey's going to do what he's going to do. And he had that Southern draw to him. And he said, you know, uh, and and the hen's going to do what, what she's going to do. And the gobbler's going to follow most of the time what she's going to do. And you just, sometimes you just don't know what they're going to do. And so basically and it's kind of a runaround answer, but, but with, with the, uh, I know you're trying to nail me down to weather and stuff, but you know, I mean, good, good weather days, you feel good and you, and you feel like, singing and in other days you don't, but there's sometimes there's a period in there where they're just, they just don't like to talk a lot, you know? And sometimes I find that into like the first or second week where they they just don't talk as much as they did. And I found that, I find that the goblin, the gobbling from 20 years ago till now seems to be less than what it was 20 years ago. And whether it's pressure, whether it's, whether it's the amount of, even in Northern New Jersey, the amount of coyotes or fox. And that's a whole nother story altogether as to possibly why the populations have have gone down. You know, um, I don't know. It's hard to say percentage-wise how how much, but the populations uh, in general around here have gone down, I would say, quite a bit.
0: Now, you know, when it comes to... this this document that you have and the documentation of all these different turkeys, uh, has there been anything interesting that you found? You know, after doing it for so long, I mean, have you gone back and like reread? Uh, you know, some of the things that you've written down from past you know kills and harvests uh, that you you found very interesting, or maybe there's nothing at all, but just other than just the record itself.
2: Um, uh, you know. The you know when I go back and look at the excitement, uh, I mean I, I could go back on that day. You know if I put a star by it, and the excitement of that bird, and especially if the bird, I mean the bird is I mean is is I've mean, killed some birds that have been soaking wet and have jumped in the stream and you know and and. And other birds that are just absolutely positively gorgeous. I mean, full fans, uh I mean I've, one thing I really do is and uh, I, I got I have a tradition where I, I carry a, a bottle of coke with me. And after I after I kill a bird, I mean I sit down here for 15, 20 minutes, even a half hour, and just and just enjoy sit down and enjoy the day with my backpack and my gun. And if I'm lucky enough to bring a sandwich, I don't I carry a just a satchel now. I don't I don't really carry a vest. I, I did for years and years. I carried a vest, but I don't really carry a vest. Vest of a, a whole bunch of paraffin. You know, every every turkey call you could possibly imagine. It's basically just basically the the, the basics. But you know, the I, I, one thing I do do is I respect the bird to the utmost respect. And you know, you this may sound funny to you, but you know, I. I've seen guys throw birds in the back of the truck and it really pisses me off. And, and I recently got it kind of like, gotten a little bit of trouble because I, I, I got on a guy's case in Facebook because the bird was laying in a canoe and all blood was coming out of the bird's head. And, and I, I mentioned it and the guys are pretty famous, uh, uh, turkey calling champion owl caller and I, I I later apologized to him, but but um, I, I don't like to see somebody mishandle a turkey. I I, I handle the bird with the utmost respect. Most of them, believe it or not, I I put a piece of canvas down and right on my front seat of my car. But but that's that's how how highly I think of the wild turkey. It's just a, just a a beautiful and tough. I mean the the birds a warrior. What can I say?
0: Oh, for sure, and especially if you think how many predators are out there trying to get after him. Anyone that listened to our episode with uh, Dr. Michael Chamberlain uh, from about a month ago, uh, they kind of heard that and kind of got his perspective of everything that's out there that wants to kill and eat a turkey at every stage of its life, uh, which is pr- oh my god, oh my god. You know,
2: I killed, I killed them. Um, I've killed eight turkeys, uh, I mean, eight coyotes with, uh, you know, and giving up birds that I probably could maybe could have killed. There's one incident where the, I, I was on the last day of the season in New Jersey. It's about maybe 15 years ago. And I seen this coyote running out of the briars and the mother is like, he could have caught the mother in in no time at all. The mother was like ten feet away, and he was in there chasing the turkey chicks in the briars, and, and running out. So I, I ran down like about maybe 60, 70 yards down toward the briars when he ran in, and as he came flying out, he had a. This is a true story. He had the turkey chick in his mouth, and and I and I killed him. Okay, I luckily I didn't shoot him in the head because he was once he saw me he took off, and as I as I killed when I killed him he opened his mouth and the chick came out. And the chick was still alive, and I, <laughs> I and I was ten steps from the mother. The mother did not fly; she made like she had a broken wing. So how's that for a story there? And uh, and another time I, I had a hawk, red-tail hawk, circling around the, where there was a whole bunch of nests. When I was trout fishing, it was the end of May. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was on Memorial Day too, and um, and uh, just the two red-tailed hawks screaming in the tree. And the mother faking like she had a, a broken leg so you know uh I know the, mr chamberlain uh yeah I mean i I feel really bad when I see these guys i mean what they have to go through and hurricanes and rains and you guys got some bad weather down here you say how the heck do these birds live i mean they're really they're they're really tough i'll give you another scenario uh the pilgrims are landing at Plymouth rock and and they see all these turkeys in here i mean they could live off that turkey for a whole entire week between turkey soup and, and, and turkey feathers and, and fan tails And, you know, they can boil that soup for a whole entire week and make a meal. And, uh, I don't know if you could do that with another bird, but I'd like to think that maybe the wild Turkey saved a whole bunch of people's lives by, uh, for them eating on that Turkey for a whole week.
1: Very cool, man. So uh, one thing that I want to ask about this journal is, uh, going back through there, do you ever find maybe like, mistakes that you made and corrected and then killed a bird or or anything like that like maybe things that you kind of improved on over time like i don't know maybe your setup as an example like like how you actually set up on a turkey to to have them come into gun range or or anything like that
2: you know like everybody else you know i try to pick in a larger tree so i'm not seen you know and uh so it's, it's it starts with that it starts with you know, I most of the time I I can't wear a total face mask because it, it it affects my 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 vision. So I basically, I mean, I mean over my eyes, I I can't do that. So so uh, you know, I just, I try to prepare myself as much as I possibly can as to which way this bird's gonna, you know, which way way this bird's gonna come in, and that and that comes with experience. I mean, I mean, and you have to there has to be a certain amount of anticipation. You have to also anticipate that uh, how many mistakes I've actually made you know with with the bird coming to the right or left i mean right there the bird should have been dead and killed and and i made a mistake but you know and i hate to lose it's one thing as a turkey hunter you just hate to lose so you try to not try not to make that that mistake again which you you probably are or will you know but um yeah uh again and i would say I would say having a little bit more patience, uh, in getting up cause I've gotten up and moved where I thought the bird was not there and, 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 and bumped the bird. So I think a little bit of patience and a little bit of patience in and calling versus, versus, a, a you know, a younger, a younger turkey hunter that I was, you know, calling a little bit more, calling it, calling a little bit too, uh, too aggressive or too much. The, the, it's actually feeling the bird out as, as you, as you hunt them.
1: That's another thing you mentioned earlier is, uh, You were talking about how you probably would have already hit, you know, gone well beyond 500 if in a lot of situations, rather than move, you would have trusted your calling more. Can you kind of unpack that a little bit about about what it means to trust your calling and and just kind of what that whole situation
2: is? You have to obtain a, the, the maximum proficiency with each call. I mean, there's such great slate calls that are out today and glass calls. I mean, these, so many guys are making great calls today, but you you have to be proficient. I mean, I really mastered the tube call. I mean, I I, I like the tube call even in the fall. I mean, one thing I didn't mention is I've killed about 30, 30 of the birds, Thirty, I think 32 birds that I've killed. They've been, I, because I'm hunting with the recurve a lot with for deer, and uh, i uh, with that I've killed in the fall. I've, I've only killed two with the bow, two with the recurve. I missed a whole lot with the recurve, but um, uh, you know, I, I I spent I spent a lot of time, you know, hunting them with the recurve. But it's with the recurve compound is it's much easier. I never kill them with the compound or crossbow. I don't own, don't own them, but but uh, with the recurve, it's anyone that's killing birds with the recurve, it's that's a pretty tough gig right there.
1: Yeah, when it when it comes to like trusting your call and everything, and and you and you mentioned like getting proficient with your call. When you say that, are you meaning getting proficient uh, with like different types of calls, as in like getting proficient using a slate or a box call, or are you talking about the actual individual calls you're making, like a cluck and a purr or a yelp or anything like that?
2: Well, yeah, the Yelp and the the Power and the Clock would, would, but you you have to, no matter which one you're using, you have to have a certain amount of efficiency. I mean, I hear some of this stuff that's, I watch some of these people on TV and not not to, 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 to be critical of them, but uh, you know, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really, didn't really sound too good. I mean, I I mean, you can recognize as well as I can, somebody that's calling really well on TV, although, you know, except for some, some guys that are really good, um, you know, I don't know if, you know, Mark Verdome is a, he just got finished making me a great trumpet call. And uh, so, I mean, he's really efficient with that call. And, And, and I, I am, I am too. I mean, I call really well on a trumpet call and I carry the trumpet call, not hanging down my neck, but clo- really close, so I could put that trumpet claw close to my mouth and just just kind of drop it, you know, a little bit. And so it just, you know, it's not dropping down over my neck. It's I only have to lift it up and put it down. And the gun is up. The gun is up on my knee, and I'm like looking down pretty well, looking over the top of the bead a little bit. So the only thing I have to move is to the right or to the left. And also, when I sit by the tree, I I try to sit like forty five degrees. A little bit from where the bird is coming from, so I could shoot all the way to the right and all the way to the left. So that movement, as to you moving right there, and, and to re-explain it again, if you if, you, if the bird is coming, I said if, rather than positioning yourself directly where the bird is coming straight toward you, if you go forty-five degrees, you know, uh, either to the right or to the left, you'll be able to move. Okay, that gun, you know, without too much without too much movement. So, but the efficiency you have to be able to use uh, you know uh, i mean a box is easy but uh, uh, you know find a really good slate i i like um i like glass more than i do the uh, than i do a slate and, and and of course the tube call and um, and i've killed i killed some birds with a scratch box call only because only because the challenge came with me as to okay i want to kill a bird with a with a tube call or wing bone call that was the challenge me not it wasn't so much count challenging and killing the bird it was the challenge of killing the bird with a different a different uh, turkey call, especially uh, especially that I still get a thrill with a trumpet or a wing bone or or even a, a, a tube call. You guys, Do you guys use a tube call much?
1: No, I, ha- I haven't used a tube call.
2: No, I mean, if you want to go in and use it, if you could use a diaphragm fairly well, you could learn how to use a tube call. And a tube call, I mean, if that, during that time, uh, if, they're gonna, uh, if I use a fly-up call, I'll, I'll use a fly-up that, the flap cackle or fly down cackle and i'll gobble right behind it and and that seems to turn them on some, sometimes because a lot of these birds will gobble a couple times before they fly up and roost or once they get in the roost and the more birds that are on the roost the more likely you're going to get them to gobble back i don't know if you ever heard that before if he's by himself if he's by himself if you get him to gobble once and sometimes that's all how i've been successful is i got that bird to gobble one time and that bingo I go I got him you know I mean even if I didn't kill him in the morning I I knew right about where he was so so that was basically a, a really big key in, in killing that bird and when I did kill him only because he made that one mistake and gobbled some one time
1: I want to I want to put a pin in that because I, I want to come back to the goblin but one thing I got to ask about before we move on again on the subject of you know trusting your calls and everything the the dilemma that every turkey hunter finds himself in at at pretty much every time you go out uh, is when you're sitting there and you've made some calls and, and there is a gobbler, let's say you've heard him already, um, but you, you've made some calls. How do you know whether or not to sit or trust your calls and and wait in that spot for him? Is there something that a gobbler does or that most gobblers do that that tips off your mind where you're like, okay, there's a really good chance that he's going to come wandering over here. It might take 10 minutes. It might take 30 but the what tells you what what in his body language or vocalizations tells you that you need to stay put.
2: Uh, you know, if that comes with experience. You know, it really does. If he if he is uh, if he stays and gobbles in one spot, uh, you're, you're in a little bit of trouble there because uh, if he if he flies down right away and he's already on the way on on he's on his way to you already that in, in, in the hen, or even again, we, we, we underscore the hen a lot of times, but being able to, I've killed a lot of birds because I, I really pissed off the hen. And so I've spent a lot of times work. If that hen is is calling back a lot, then I'll call her back and match the call to her. And and then he's going to follow sooner or later. The problem is if she follows in too close, sometimes, you know, she's going, if she's going to pick you up and I've had him come close, and not kill the bird because the the hen just just came in too close that way. But if he's on the move right away, you really don't have to do too much more. I, I wouldn't give him a whole lot. That's, that's where I have the diaphragm some call in my mouth, because if I can't pick up that tube or, 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 or work that slate, I got that diaphragm in my call. And just, if I give him a little bit of cluck or a little bit of a yelp here and there, a little bit of a purr, you know, just to bring him in that rested at that time. Okay. He's sitting there waiting. He's looking, debating. And I gave him all of a sudden, yep. I could see him here, you know, and here he comes. So um, I, I think that you I think that like, like the other guy said, um, uh, the other guy, Rich uh, Hunt Osceolas, um, you have to be able to, it comes with experience and uh, evaluating that situation as to you, you, the terrain, you know, can I move or can not move? And you, no doubt you're gonna make mistakes sometimes, but but you know, the problem is that if you've been if I was successful like maybe 10, 15 times in a row, or and, and and then you think okay I can get, get away with it and you know, there's other birds around and you know you're gonna bump those birds and you know and there it goes I don't like to get up three thirty in the morning for for nothing at all you know I mean it's just like I, I, I went out with one goal in mind say I'm not gonna make any mistakes so I walk out of the woods there's nothing greater than 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 carrying a bird out of the woods and, and the one you had a contest with with in in one.
1: So I want to ask about uh, gobbling. You you mentioned that earlier that you like to gobble on a tube call. Is that something that you do a lot? And, And if so, when do you gobble at Tom's?
2: Uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I, uh, what's the name? Nightingale made a gobbler tube call, and it sounds—it's a pretty good call, and I've used it many times and got birds to gobble back at night, and even in the morning. If it's I'm kind of like desperate, I use the gobble call more like like a, a little bit of a desperateness, or with the tube call. I'll, I'll and once the once they fly down and things are kind of like settled down, or not coming. Just to to, to change calls, I will. I'll use uh, I'll use a high pitched like cutting with that, and then right behind that cutting, with the with with the tube call you gobble right behind that with the tube call. I mean, you you I I have a little Southern Woods uh, uh, Midwest turkey supplies I bought. I have three or four of these little wood calls with a diaphragm with the diaphragm on it. It's a tube call. I could kill. I could do anything with that little tube call than I can with all the other calls that are there. That's the only thing I could really that I really need to carry. That's how much confidence. I, I have in that little call, or in the tube call. The same thing with a with a trumpet too. I don't know if you guys use trumpet, but it, it really pays for you to learn how to use the trumpet because the trumpet's got uh, it's got a different sound to it than any other call that's there. It's the most realistic sound I think on a trumpet than you'll 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 have in any other call. I mean, there's some really diaphragm and some great fantastic calls, but if, I, I've had people say to me they've heard me on the trumpet and they. They swore every single time that th- it was uh, that it was a hen.
0: Rich, would you talk a little bit about trumpet calls? You don't hear that being talked about uh, very often, especially with southern hunters. I just don't hear it much. I know it's getting a little bit more popular from what I've seen, at least on social media, it seems that way. Uh, but can you talk about the, you know, why you like using a trumpet call, which you talked a little bit about, but the advantages of it and then also just how to be able to work one. I'm sure there's plenty of YouTube videos out there for people to be able to go on YouTube and, and look at how to be able to run a trumpet call. But you know, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of, of using one?
2: You know, I don't see any disadvantage in using one if you can master. And I, I can't even say master it, but it takes a lot. I mean, I learned how to play the guitar about six or seven years ago, and I, I owned one for many, many years, and it sat there. And it took an awful lot. I mean, 70% of the people that learned how to use a uh, start playing guitar, you know, give, I heard you know, give it up, which is probably true, but to get past that peak and say, Hey, look, uh, I really want to learn how to use this. And I think once you do use one and you get one to gobble back to you, your, your confidence grows. And if you work, you know, you have that Turkey, that tube coal in your, in, in your mouth and, and you work, especially if you buy a little bit higher end, there's so many different ones today that I means these guys make great calls and, the, and, you know, the, the mouthpiece at the end, the whole, I don't know if you know but the whole the same thing i made dive i made uh wing bone calls for many years and i I could just look at the 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 end of the mouthpiece of the coal and say whether well, whether it's a hen a uh, uh, jake uh, a hen a jake and uh, the larger the coal the larger the hole at the end the more raspier sound that you're going to have uh for some of the old gobblers i've killed i it's got more of a gobbler yelp to it than it does a, a high pitch hen. So, so it's then, I mean, I think you're missing a really, the boat there not being able to at least try. It's not easy to, it's not easy to do, but you have to learn how to work your hands and cup your hands over the end of the tube call. And with that, you, you're muffling and, and changing the sound of the call. The one guy, Dwayne Bland would never even show anybody as to what he did with his hands or, or not even call for anybody. That you know, that's how secretive. But if you go on, um if you go on YouTube and Mark Prudhomme, which is one, he's won almost seventeen different championships with, you know, voice, owl diaphragm, box call, diaphragm. I think he's won about ten times, and uh, and 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 voice call, box call. And I, I don't think he's ever won the trumpet, but. But, but again, there's so many guys that are out there using their trumpet today, at least up this way anyway, uh, maybe more, more north and south, but wing bones kind of like originated more down south than, uh, than, than they did, uh, than more or less up north, but it, it's, uh, it's kind of picked up quite a bit.
0: Also, I was going to ask, uh, why did you like, uh, you talk about fly up cackles and fly down cackles, uh, on a tube call. Why do you like using a tube call for, for those, uh, specific vocalizations?
2: Yeah, you know, just to get him to gobble on the roost, you know, especially fly up, you know, I, if that bird's not there, I mean, I'll go, I'll drive down a road, okay, there's one stretch of road, it's like 15 miles, is, I told you, it's Newark Watershed property, and I'll just pull over alongside the road there, and I'll do and and that's what when those birds are horn uh the the gobblers are kind of like horny when they fly up their heads are all white they're fanned out they're fanned out in the field they're ready to fly up i don't know whether they're just getting they're getting excited with the hen. it's not fly down time it's fly up time but just to get him worked up again just to get him to gobble now once he it's not like a, a white-tailed deer you don't I mean it can come 15 20 yards away you know you know, the key to me at night was to get these birds to gobble. So I knew, you know, where to get into. If I knew where to get into and he gobbled, well, my my chances increased 50, 60 percent, you know, if, if the bird's going to be cooperative in the morning. If not that bird, then maybe a bird that's another gobbler that's a two-year-old to the right or to the left, or maybe even the dominant bird that that I can kill. But but the tube call has definitely given me you know, uh, a great, a great adva- advantage.
0: And that's why I was asking is whether or not, you know, why did you like to use a tube call to cackle instead of using a diaphragm call or anything else?
2: um you know it was just something different to master you know i i think after you killed x amount of birds i mean you kind of like look you kind of look for something a little bit different you know even oh, can i really kill them with the name you know the 20 gauges come on its own now with the with better shells but you you're you're looking you're starting to look for a, a different kind of challenge kind of like fishing with worms and then going to uh nymphs or dry flies you kind of like you, you want to up the game a little bit. You know, one time my, my son was here. I told you I have a long time. It's a 40 inch barrel. It's made, made, it was made by Ivor Johnson. It's called a long time. It's, and it's, 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 it's an okay shooting gun. It's a 12 gauge gun, but uh, I said, I'm going, I didn't kill a bird when I came back and had to let my dogs out. And so he only, he said, I'm only going to give you the wing bone call. That's all you can allow. You can't take the diaphragm, nothing else with you. So I just took the diaphragm with me and, and sure enough, um, I, I was almost. I had to get out by twelve o'clock. It's like a quarter to twelve, and I had a red-tailed hawk fly across this field, and the bird gobbled. And I and I went back up the mountain there, and I called on the two, on the on the wingbone, and and end up and end up you know killing the bird and bringing the bird back. So that was kind of like a big accomplishment. And sometimes I just bring the I just bring the trumpet with me. I mean, just only because uh, <clears throat> after you killed quite a few. And i am taking a picture of the first bird I killed, the 100, 200, 300, and 400th, and the, hopefully the 500th bird. And I say to people, I'm going to finish my butterfly collection and uh, go back to fly, uh, fly, uh, dry fly fishing, you know. But I don't think, you know, 500, 501 or two, it, it's all in the gobble. I mean, it's all, it's the excitement is still there for me, probably always will be, you know, to the, until I'm not here anymore.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, one thing I was real curious to ask you is, you know, with 38 years of turkey hunting experience and you killing a ton of turkeys, you know, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you made that maybe you could relay with the listeners that maybe they can kind of correct themselves early on in their career to maybe have more success later on in in their lives? Uh,
2: I I would say, you know, having – having the confidence that, that, you know, you know, even even being there, I would say, you know, being there at early I mean, I'm here half hour, forty five minutes before it gets light because it, you know, not to say that's the direct answer that you want, but but being there, I mean uh before that bird sounds off. And that bird sounds off, even if the bird is fairly far away, you could move, still move on that bird in the dark. So right there it's gonna give you it's getting you an advantage. I mean, being I mean it's there's there's nothing wrong with being there for 45 minutes an hour because sometimes he's gonna sound off right away and you can move on him. Boom, you you got the advantage above somebody else. And the same thing with um the same thing um you know with with moving. I mean yeah moving comes with confidence, you know, but yeah if If I had not moved many different times and again, depending on trusted my calling a little bit more and then seeing what the response was from the bird is really is really a key as to you know, you you're glad that you, oh my God, it's a good thing I didn't move. you know, it's a good thing I stayed put. So that that patience virtue that's in there from and that's again, that starts with the old southern gentleman picking up the call, you know, calling and not say you have to be it that way because you want to call. You want them to give them the gobble back, but you get them to the gobble back and things go quiet, then you, you better be ready because many times they're coming And And if you get caught off guard, oh, my God, I got beat so many times, you know, I, I, I get flashes back in my head where. I looked to the right and looked to the left and, you know, and he was there. If I would just, had been a little bit more alert, you know, I would, I would have not, not that I wasn't alert, but I just didn't anticipate for him to show where he showed up.
1: Now, Rich, um, we've, we've taken quite a bit of your time here. And one thing that we kind of want to wrap up with is, uh, the fact that you're writing a book right now, you're working on a book, um, all about, you know, your kind of journey turkey hunt. Do you want to jump into that a little bit and kind of tell people what you're working on?
2: yeah you know i never thought that i'd ever write a book and i said you know i there's so many different um, there's some great books on turkey hunting you know anyone who takes the effort out to write a book you know it has to have a certain amount of knowledge that's there and and i i said i, I don't want to write a book on how to you know i mean how, this, how you should do it this way you should do it that way i just basically can write a book in in, in more in depth um, Because this is kind of like, you know, new to me with with even with a podcast and whether I answered your questions correctly or not. And because I tend to jump around and go with what's in my head sometimes. But basically uh, how I did it. I mean, the, the roosting, I'm trying to break it down, which is not easy to do. You know, find Hunting hunting areas that have turkeys is really the is the big key because you're going to learn a whole lot from the turkeys from the time they're on the roost or even if they're on the ground no matter what time of day it is you you're gonna you're gonna learn a whole lot and you know what what guns i you know what guns i used um did i really emphasize on i didn't get into camouflage but i don't think it's as much as necessary as because you know mostly oak and realtree want to sell as much as they possibly can but i've killed birds with khaki pants on and and green army uh and green army jacket of course i had a face mask on but uh, you know the guns were the guns are uh, as being proficient with the gun is, is, is really important. I think a little bit of practice, even if it's not with the, the shell you're using, uh, I've seen people go over and uh, take their kids out and, and never have shot at a Turkey before, maybe once or twice to where with my son, I put, I put 10 targets out with, a, with just a piece of stick and a, and a white Turkey target on it and had him you know, shoot each one just to gain the confidence out there many, many times. and, And, and even now I still go back and pattern my gun each year just to take a look or use a different shell sometimes and long beard, or most of the time I still use nitro loads, but, um, no, it wasn't a how to book, um, it's it's basically how i did it in in basically starting from a young age like you said about about my woodsmanship and how i developed my woodsmanship there's a there's going to be stuff in there about you know hunting with the bow i mean i i'm a big recurve bow hunter and and so in all those things combined i mean i think i have great woodsmanship skills i can compete with just about anybody um, in in the, when it comes to the woodsman area and, you know, not being afraid to, to, to stretch, to stretch the limit as how much, how much I could push myself. And I, and again, I really did hunting every morning uh, in, you know, before school for 45 minutes and then (laughs) running back out of the woods. And I clean the bird, and I put a frozen seltzer bottle inside the bird's cavity, and leave them on the kitchen floor. And then, and then drive to school an hour and a half, and, and teach all day, and drive back. If you do that, really, you know, I I'd lose sometimes ten to fifteen pounds during the uh, during the turkey season many times. But uh, I I really appreciate you guys um you know um having me on you know, and I hope I enlightened you with uh, a little bit anyway of stuff that you didn't know you've you've talked to some great turkey hunters on there and there's some there's some really good turkey hunters out there
0: yeah and rich just for uh all, you know all of our listeners out there what what is the name of the book and possibly you know when do you think it might would be available
2: uh, i would say probably in about um you know i talked to an editor on the book and then, uh, probably about you know putting the pictures together and stuff um uh probably about um four to six months you know i called it i called the book only because i wanted a little bit of attention that way because i always uh, I I always wanted to be uh, you know back in this, when I hunted groundhogs, and sh- shooting jer- shooting groundhogs with a twenty two two fifty and shooting three three and four hundred yards and and I wanted to be a uh, you know back in with Vietnam War I wanted to be a sniper, and uh, uh, so I kind of like you know always wanted to be that way my but my father was a eighty percent disabled vet from World War Two and hundred percent disabled and he he wasn't he wasn't too keen on me you know, joining the army and in, uh, in, in being a sniper. So so I chose the name Eastern Assassin and acorns and turkey tracks because I love, ac- I didn't talk about acorns, but acorns are a big thing. Deer, turkey, everything eats acorns. And uh, so I kind of like, I, I love putting on the ghillie suit once in a while and I have maybe... 50 pictures with me with the ghillie suit on and killing turkeys only because I felt a little sneakier that way, or maybe get away with a little bit more. But so I called the book Eastern assassin acorns and Turkey tracks.
1: Awesome. Rich. Well, man, we can't thank you enough for uh, coming on here and sharing some of your knowledge. And uh, we wish you the best of luck this spring closing out that 500. Exactly.
0: Yeah. We cannot, I cannot wait for you to get those two other birds and hit that, that 500 mark. That's going to be fantastic.
2: bro. Well, I'll let you know. I'll send you, I'll send you guys some pictures, you know, and listen, when you get your chance, uh, you know, send, send me, um, uh, send me your address and I'll send you, uh, I'll send you a couple stick bow man's hats, kind of army hat, the the, the, the wire brim bend, kind of like bends up in the front, like a short kind of bill. I also have one that's got a turkey skull on it with, um, with a uh, turkey. Uh, um, it's got crossbones of a, of a turkey and spurs. And it says TKM. Not that I, not that I really considered myself because again, even though I've killed a lot of turkeys so many turkeys have beat me that I, I should have gave up the game and maybe taken up golf or, or done something else. But you guys, it's been an awful lot of fun. I mean, being out in the woods and had the woods come alive and flowers and, and deer and everything and box turtles that you could see. There's, there's so much to enjoy out there. It's, it's enhanced my life a thousand fold and it will, it will do that to you and to anybody else that listens to this podcast.
1: All right, everybody. That's going to wrap that one up. Uh, I'm going to say at the end of this outro, we're going to read some uh, of the reviews we've gotten on iTunes. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to go leave us a five star review on iTunes. That helps out a bunch. But Jacob, what did you think about that? Show? It was excellent, man. Rich, Rich was a
0: really good guy. I'm glad we were able to get him on. You know, as a guy, that's about to break 500. You know, turkeys. That is unbelievable. I mean, you know, you hear I hear guys killing uh, you know 200 turkeys, and I'm like, that's a lot of turkeys, man. Thinking. This guy's almost cresting at 500, just unreal. A lot of experience. 72 years old, man. He's sharp-witted, man. 72 years old, still rock and rolling, but getting after turkeys. Um, It's cool to kind of just see that. And then also his perspective, you know, living up in kind of New Jersey, it's not the typical kind of area of the country that we interview guys from, especially when it comes to turkey hunting. Yeah. Yeah. you know, a lot of his stuff can kind of relate, you know, a lot of other places, especially talk about the roost and and how to get in there close and really pick that apart.
1: Yeah. And that was the thing is like, he doesn't live around here, but he's got so much experience like hunting turkeys and being around turkeys. There's definitely something to be said about that. But also, you know, before we recorded, we had a, a lot of conversations with him about the kind of places he hunts and the terrain and habitat are very similar to a lot of the places that a lot of us in the South hunt. He might not be hunting like a planted pine forest or anything like that but he is hunting you know big woods um like rolling hills hardwoods type stuff uh he says he's hunted um like pretty close to the appalachian trail before so a little bit of mountain birds in there along with it Uh, Along with like a mix of field birds, too, which, you know, if you're dealing with field birds, they're a totally different animal.
0: So Now, one thing we didn't talk about, I wish we would have asked him about this or had him, you know, tell these stories. But he's, so he lives in the corner of uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and uh, New York State. And he's actually killed three birds in one day up there. In three different states? In three different states. And I think he said he's done three birds by noon in three different states. (sighs) I know he said he's done at least two doing that, but I'm like, that's, you know, that's crazy. But, I mean, he's a a turkey killer, dude. I mean, sure enough, turkey killer. Um, You know, as he talks about, you know, he's going in the woods to kill a turkey. He's not out there just to BS around.
1: His uh, whole roosting idea kind of has my wheels turning about going and actually, like, seeing where the bird is. That was interesting. I didn't know that about him. Um, And he talked about doing it early season when the leaves are off. And I'm just thinking, like, man, I'd be afraid of getting busted. Yeah, a little first risky. I feel a little risky. But I've, I've talked to people, which I can't remember if we've talked to them on the show or not, but I've talked to people who early season swear by, like, if you've got a gobbler that's like real hen up, that right before they go to roost, like, find that gobbler and go in there and bust him up like you would in the fall. Just go walk right up to him, bust up the flock so he gets separated from his hens. And then go hunt them like that the next morning, like make sure he's apart from the hens, and then get in between them. I was going to ask him about that because that's what I thought too. Because I, yeah. I, I kind of, I know who you're talking about,
0: and um, I could see that being successful in a situation where you, again, really know the lay of the land and you can get in there on a, on a way where you can truly separate the hens from the gobbler. Yeah. Um, that would be very, very interesting. I mean, you know, very, very aggressive as well. Um, probably a lot more aggressive than most guys want to be. But yeah, that that's a interesting thought. That probably should have covered but you know <laughs> hindsight's
1: always twenty is, twenty when we're doing yeah, we ain't even to spring yet we got time oh yeah. we got we got this we got plenty of time but i haven't even been out scouting yet for anything all my all my deer cameras are still in the woods well except like one or two of them which yeah, i was gonna say i thought you pulled a few of them yeah had a bunch of bucks on them pulled pulled that one that had the wizard all over it or, well he wasn't all over it had him once and <laughs> And he's dead now, so it doesn't matter. But that other buck was on there. Right,
0: we're gonna we're gonna see the old wizard buck later on
1: this year. Yeah, definitely. And you go see his go
0: see the mount. from the Old boy killed mm-hmm. it. Yep. But um, yeah, dude, I haven't been out either. I've been, I've worked uh 26 of the 28 days of this month, or uh, well, of February. We're still February when we're recording this. So, I've been, I've been a little busy. Yeah. A uh, l- little bit more busy than I thought I'd be. But we got March coming up, dude, and it's going to be exciting. Not only just about uh, kind of turkey hunting coming up, but man, there's some good fishing opportunities yeah. happening, too. Andrew's over here just smiling, just grinning. I just bought Jacob's Hobie, man. Man, Andrew just moved up in the world. Yeah. Got him, no. a, got him a Hobie Pro Angler 14. That the barge the barge it's man giant it's gonna turkey barge buck barge bass barge that's They're right track, I, barge. Know, I, I, well, I
1: broke it in the other day fishing uh on a lake i, I should not say the name of the you lake don't, you don't need to say the name of the lake no not even the area no of the state it's no in. i definitely won't but i tore them up man i i'm terrible at like big lake fishing i'm real bad i've never had luck i don't know what to do. I'm used to fishing like little creeks and rivers and everything like that. Uh, so I'm like super lost on a big lake. And I, I looked into like about half a million shad that were just schooling. I was like, well, this looks good. And I just started casting a crankbait that looked like a shad into the middle of them. And I wore them out, dude. Yeah. yeah. Caught a 20-inch largemouth, the second fish of the day. And
0: now now you got to start checking out that. The Facebook page and everything of wired to or wired not wired to
1: hunt wired to hunt, but no wired to fish. Dude, they they put out some awesome content. Any oh, the... dude, it's like I'm like an infant. Like, what? Uh, yeah, watching some of their videos, I'm like, whoa! Like, there's a whole world of stuff I didn't know about. Do You watch those videos of Robert Fields,
0: the offshore fishing, like uh saltwater offshore fishing in Panama? Uh, uh, tag, that you tag me? Tag, tag, yeah, I watched like two of them. Listen, so. Intense, <laughs> I'm like, dude, they're out there and freaking some chop, dude. You know, pretty far offshore, just catching some big old saltwater fish, man. Catching sailfish and all that kind of stuff. You know how crazy that would be yeah, in a kayak? Dude,
1: I want to go catch some giant
0: catfish on some of these no, lakes. No, we need big old redfish. We go down to the Gulf,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, we're planning
1: it. I mean, hell, we're planning it, dude. Oh, catch man. some big old bull reds, big old sharks, you name it. Uh, I'm yeah. excited for fishing. I'm more excited for fishing this year than I have in have been in a, a long time because i don't know i just feel like diversifying the freezer dude well that and now you get now you get some now you're, <laughs> just, you're just
0: paddling around in a you know i know i got a taste of it canoe the of the or something day. i was
1: like oh this is awesome <laughs> dude, you can explain what's the difference between that versus like other kayaks that you use so the hobie is just it's got the paddle uh, there the pedal drive system in it so it's got two fins that come out underneath it and it's got two pedals that are right there in front of you and you just Pedal your feet and you go. How do you describe like what those fins look like? They're like two, almost like a shark fin. Penguins. No, uh, yeah, it was like a penguin, and um, and I, I don't know. It's not like a bike pedal. You just you don't pedal in a circle. You pedal back and forth. Yep. Just back and forth, back and forth. Super easy. Nice long fins, and they they wave under the wall. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it. It's got a rudder on it too, so you can steer and everything, but. That made like fishing out of a kayak so much more enjoyable because like I said, I, I was paddling, I was looking for crappie, I couldn't find any crappie. And I was way up this lake and I was like, okay, I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna head to this pier and uh go fish that pier and see if I can find some crappie on that pier. And so I turned around and I start heading that way, and uh I'm like, well while I'm going, the the Hobie goes at like one speed, basically. Like if you're just pedaling full bore you're at like perfect trolling speed well i was gonna say you can go a lot faster yeah i <laughs> mean you put a wick behind that bad boy you really want to get into <laughs> it but anyway normal paddling speed is like perfect trolling yep. so i'm like okay so i throw this crankbait on there and it's diving i'm in like six or so feet of water and it's diving too deep and like grabbing all the stuff on the bottom so i'm like okay i'm gonna put a rattle trap on here and so i just start trolling it and uh i'm trolling 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 and then after a while i look over and there's just like the entire water is just shad. I mean, there's so many shad that's all you can see all around. There's just shad. I was like, "Well, this is this is good. This is this is a good situation." And sure enough, right after that, I uh, I I get the first bass. I'm just trolling, it, it, like right after I get into the shad. Boom, got one. And so then I'm like, "Sweet, okay, put her on the stringer, ready to go." Oh, and what then kind of bass are we talking here? Spot, big old. Freaking old, pot-bellied spotted bass. Old spotted
0: Alabama bass, which yeah. come to find out, supposedly um, they are—they're not native in quite a few states, and oh, really? they are just now being found in Virginia, and they're freaking out because the Alabama Alabama bass is up here, spotted bass, and they, they don't have them up there. Really? Also up there, which is non-native, I think, is blue catfish as well, and they're all freaking really? out about that. I'm like, man, what are y'all doing? Like, We're diverse down here. Oh, we got all kinds of fish: smallmouth, ever... spots, largemouth, grinnell. Okay, now you just a little swamp boat, fish,
1: boat, bowfin, yeah, whatever bowfin, you to, whatever you want to call it. Uh, mudfish, some people call them. Um, so I caught that, and then in typical, like me, fashion, I almost instantly lose the rattle trap after I caught that one. I think I got two more casts out of it, and then I didn't flip the bell because I suck at fishing, or I flipped it, and when I casted it, it flipped back down and the line broke. And I mean, that Joker went to the stratosphere, dude. It was like, whoa, way far away. So I was like, dang it. Paddle, 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 pedal, pedal, paddle, paddle. paddle. <laughs> no, it did, no, it did not work. <laughs> so throw on a different bait and threw on this other little crankbait that looked like a shad and wore out, dude. Next fish was a 20-inch largemouth. That was a good largemouth. Almost kept it. But I was like, man, people give me so much grief. <laughs> I've kept fish that big. I've kept fish bigger than that. All these guys listening to filleted that joker. People, cut it loose and like Crisco. Yeah, people don't understand. <laughs> Andrew has filleted
0: bass that most people would be like. People's like personal best bass. Yeah. And Andrew's over here just filleting. He's like, yeah. oh,
1: like, this will taste good. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my like, God, the fillet on this thing's gonna be
0: huge. And, and Andrew's <laughs> the guy that you see out at a ba- like a big bass tournament that's out in his boat, this dip dippinitting, dying. S- I'm scooping dying bass. up the half dead bass that, that, that the that, tournament that, guys leave. <laughs> that's that's Andrew. That is Andrew, guys. If you if you want to know Andrew's personality. I like eating bass.
1: I do. But they're, they're no, actually I, I
0: like him a lot in the wintertime. Like there's yeah, something like it's like really firm. I've had a couple in the summertime that was like, Ugh, I don't know.
1: You got to get them cold. You know how Kevin does his fish Kevin? where he like Kevin Murphy, mm-hmm. he get he gets them in like a ice water bath for like, Ooh, however long. Yeah. Do that to the bass and huh. it, it helps a lot. But anyways, um, yeah, the, actually the only reason I threw that fish back is cause I couldn't remember if there was a slot limit on that, uh, particular yeah. lake. So I was like, mm, I'll let her go. But, um, it it turned out to work out okay because I caught like five more nice spots, real nice. And I like catching the spots more than the largemouth, man. I, I didn't measure it, but the biggest spot that I caught was not near as big as that largemouth, and it fought so much harder. It was it stripped some drag. It was like it was awesome. I'm like, man, y'all can have these largemouth bass. I'll take these spots. They're they're more fun. Mm. Yeah, they're they're a blast. Hopefully, we're gonna have a, a nice spotted bass
0: trip coming up soon. Yeah, a little, doing a little river running, but uh, yeah, dude, I don't know fishing, spring fishing. That's 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 the I think a lot of guys listening right now. You're you're one of two things because you can't be both. You're either like a die, die hard fisherman, like crop fisherman, bass fisherman, springtime, and you might turkey hunt a little bit, or you're a die hard turkey hunter and you may or may not fish at all in the springtime. Yeah, it's it's one of, it's hard to be both because yeah. one is gonna quickly take over the other. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know the spring crappie spawn. That's one thing I've never experienced because we're turkey hunting. And I'm like, man, I don't know. I might for one one day of a weekend or something. Maybe on a Saturday, I might be out there trying to catch some of them uh,
1: spawning. Yeah, I'd uh, like to. I'd like to get in on that. Depends on how my turkey season's going. If I'm like, we'll struggling. We
0: get on them right now. I'm telling you, this weekend, bro.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm wanting to get my see, fishing see, in like right now. See, you,
0: you bought my Hobie. I'm going to go buy another Hobie. <laughs> I can drive all the way down to New Orleans to go pick it up because. Brand new, In the 360. Yeah, Hobie Pro Angler 360 2021 model. It's got reverse. Well, it's got every it's sideways. 360, it's 360. The crab walks yeah. it. you crab walk <laughs> can Crab walk that thing. Go however you want with it. Um, but I'm gonna go pick that up um, on Saturday of this week. So I gotta to drive to New Orleans. I think I'm from there. I'm gonna go straight up to Gunnersville, New Orleans, and go fish Gunnersville uh, for a little bit Saturday, but
1: you know, a lot, lot uh, on Sunday, and then mm-hmm. bring it on back down south. So yeah, dude. I'm excited. I haven't even been out to listen for turkeys yet, but guys in Alabama, at least, uh, I got a lot of buddies in Alabama. We've been, they've been burning it up, man. They've yeah, been hearing them. These warm mornings, they're gobbling right now, especially this warm spell we've had after that giant winter storm pushed through. Got real warm. It was 81 degrees today. Yep. Joker Ooh. burned it up this morning. They're gonna be all gobbled out before season nah, comes in. <laughs> no, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm waiting for the Facebook post like they're gonna be done. They're gonna be done. <laughs> yeah.
0: So. We'll have to get Doctor Chamberlain back on for that episode. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> He's he be like, "Listen now, I uh, and all these people out here," but. It, All right, so well, I was gonna say, appreciate everybody listening again. If you're still listening to the podcast, clearly you're a diehard listener. We appreciate the feedback. Brought to read some reviews, some of the new reviews that came out over the last week. We're trying to hit 600 reviews before turkey season comes in. Which we're we, at
1: 571. We're at
0: 571 right now, so we don't need very many more to hit 600. So if y'all would go over on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. That would be fantastic. Uh, and appreciate everybody's been listening. Also, if you're still listening to the podcast, please. If you want to support the show, you can go over to, of course, patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. And that's Southern Outdoors M-E-N. And, uh, of course, you know, f- you know, donate whatever you want to the show that, you know, kind of best represents how we've been doing. But also, you can purchase merchandise from our website, which is the Southern Men, again, M-E-N.com slash shop you can check out all the new hats that we got up shipping a bunch of hats i got some going out tomorrow actually when this episode drops um but again you can check out we still get just a couple of our turkey hats from last year old um bottomlands um so of course you can check this out at the southernoutdoorsman.com but andrew take us away where are we gonna start at dude
1: all right this guy's name is they mostly come at night and the caption is respect five stars Gobble 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 gobble. <laughs> I give this podcast five out of five gobbles. I like that. That's that's my favorite review in a long time. Good job.
0: Yep. Uh, this, uh, this is a great podcast. Five stars from R Barfell. Uh, I, I've big game hunted in the Midwest since I was a kid, and recently moved to South Carolina. It's a di- it's a it's definitely a different game uh, getting into deer and wild turkeys in these rolling hardwoods and pines down here. I'm used to hunting mostly agriculture agriculture fields and small tracts of hardwoods. I love the terrain and mild winters down here, but it's been a struggle to consistently kill game. This podcast and others like it have given me the knowledge base to get close to more wild game. This past year, I harvested two whitetails and my first ever public land turkey. Uh, Thanks to the tips and tricks, I'm heading to South Florida in two weeks to try my hands at some Osceola's and then get back to South Carolina to hunt two different game zones where I've scouted out some great turkey spots. Uh, good luck to everybody this coming turkey season. God bless. Awesome, dude. So it sounds like he's going to be there
1: opening weekend
0: maybe. Yep. yep. That means March this 6th, Saturday. This Saturday, March 6th. Dude,
1: good luck. Whoop, whoop. You better send us a picture of that Osceola you're about to shoot. Yeah. Okay. I hope I didn't just jinx you. I'm sorry. Oh, dude. You, oh, you're terrible, God. Andrew. You better knock on some wood. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, good luck, dude. Uh, this guy, G Wax W9. It's good. Read the, read, read the rest of that one. I, I can't. Uh, semicolon <laughs> a- Acetech DXF. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't he's know. He's coming up with stuff. All right. I'm a new hunter that started late in life. I used the Killing Wind episode's advice and took a chance that paid off big. I had a pretty successful first season hunting from the advice given on this podcast. Hopefully, my first turkey season will be the same. Keep it up and roll tide, or eagle. Roll, roll tide, baby. <laughs> <Or> eagle. <laughs> Uh,
0: that's 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 the one uh that's that's the one um thing me and Andrew don't get along with <laughs> Old Iron Bowl. <Bull. laughs> Anyways. All right. Uh five stars. awesome podcast from Uncle Shaney at Bowed Up. Bowed Up. <laughs> I've been following the running gun Whitetail hunters uh, Facebook page. Heck yeah. There you for go. quite a while now. Uh but just uh never oh, holy, holy oh. <laughs>
1: Running gun. Hold on. Never really been a podcast guy. Oh, there you go. Never really been oh, a podcast Jacob, come guy. Come on, man. Stroked out
0: right there. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: Jacob reads it at a third grade level. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Alabama
0: for you. Roll Tide. <laughs> I, I got to the, I gotta play to the stereotype. Right? Oh, that was good. I got to play to the stereotype. <laughs> uh, I finally gave it a shot, and I saw Travis Murray's episode on Facebook. Uh, being a fellow Mississippi Public Land bow hunter and interested in getting the ghillie suit bow hunting. Well, it turned out I am a podcast guy, and this is by (laughs) far my favorite hunting podcast out there. Heck yeah, dude. Uh, Over the years, I've used a lot of different tactics. Uh, Oh, whoa. Over the years, I've used a lot of different tactics discussed on the show, uh, but have learned some new ones and and always to tie some new ones together. I've been... Ooh, I haven't been this excited for next <laughs> deer season in years. <laughs> I've also been enjoying the turkey hunting content that's coming out now and plan to go back and listen to older episodes as well. Highly recommend that. I think it's episode 150. That we started uh, turkey content last year. There's a lot of really good mm-hmm. stuff to check out. But, anyways, he says, uh, Thank you. Uh, thank you guys for all you've been doing and keep up the excellent work. Awesome, yeah. brother.
1: Man, last year, some of our turkey episodes last year are some of the best episodes that we've ever done, deer or turkey. Mike Pentecost comes to mind. That episode from last year, banger. Banger. Running run Gun Whitetail Hunters page, if you're not on that, it is the largest mobile hunting page on Facebook.
0: Now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 30, almost 38,000 people now on there. The largest. So, yeah, we, me and Andrew run that page and founded it. So, if you're interested in the deer hunting content, definitely check out the Running and Gun and Whitetail Hunters page on Facebook. But right. Hit that last one
1: up. Here we go. Peanut in Alabama. Uh, five stars. I've been listening since late January. Really appreciate this podcast. been hunting strictly with a bow for five years. Not putting down my bow until I'd kill one to mount. Nice. Uh, looking forward to the 2021 through 2022 season uh, to put these tactics to work to work. Thank guys, God bless uh, Peanut Witten in South Alabama. Appreciate it, Peanut. Yeah, Peanut actually Sweet. sent me a friend request not too long ago. So oh, really? There you go. Yeah, nice. i nice. Accept go. that. Yeah, guys, I give Jacob a hard time about reading, but if y'all watch me do math, it'd be a lot worse. Better spell, you know, whatever. Oh yeah. man, I can't spell. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't spell at all. Is that, it's bad. It's an Alabama stereotype. Oh, and, you know? and and we've been calling out. I mean, like like subtitles in YouTube videos, podcast titles, of description, p- description, everything misspelled. Yeah, I'm. I just. I smell like a talk, <laughs> I guess. Which <laughs> is ironic because my oh, wife's a teacher. T- t- you you got to talk. Well, n- maybe not talk about that. T- t- oh, yeah. One time. This is hilarious. Yeah, my <laughs> wife when she was interning down in Lee County. Oh, you don't have to specify. What? Well, she, okay. Anyways, Lee County. Anyways, Tiffany. She, she's been on the podcast a couple times. Um, she's got a little bit of an. At- none of us. I feel like none of us have a thick accent. Maybe to like. To uh, rich we do. We probably do. We all do to rich. I bet he's got an accent. Um, but uh, so my wife's got a little bit of a southern accent, and she was teaching her like second graders some stuff, and they did a spelling test, and she discovered that all spelled in a southern accent. <laughs> that you, was so weird. What's the example? Like like spelling the word hot h a w t stuff but, like that. But h o t, and they're spelling h yeah hot, hot. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what in the forest gump is this? Life's <laughs> <laughs> like a box of chocolates.
0: <laughs> well, so you got anything else? No, dude, it's been fun. Again, really enjoyed Rich uh, coming on and sharing that knowledge. Y'all stay tuned. Actually, starting this week, because March 4th, we're actually starting the strut report. Oh, whoa. I you know, probably didn't think about that now, no, did you? No, I didn't at all. So, so t- coming out on Thursday, starting now through the end of uh, at least to the middle of May, we're going to be doing strut reports. So, everybody's been already reaching out to us. We're going to reach out to some of you guys. We interview between four to eight guys every week uh, about what they're kind of seeing in the woods right now, what kind of the activity you're seeing, along with a bunch of other questions. Highly recommend listening to those episodes to get the most up-to-date information before you go into the, um, I guess, the really, the weekends, especially when season comes around. So, we'll start that episode coming up this Thursday. So, make sure y'all tune in to Thursday's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Story, a.k.a. Struggle Park.
1: Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a, a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, we talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for for you, which means you're gonna love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are gonna be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the southeast are gonna be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are gonna be there. It's just, it's gonna be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all gonna be there, and you you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it you're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts so like i said go ahead and put it on your calendar guys it's a no-brainer you gotta be at the show again it's friday june 28th through sunday june 30th in dalton georgia we absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting so we'll see you at the 2024 mobile hunters expo in dalton georgia